All right, folks, welcome to another mini episode of the Point Being podcast here. Uh, I'm Arizona Daily Star opinion writer Edward Salayo, and I'm your host today. I'm joined by our reporter, Stephanie Casanova. Stephanie, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. I wish it wasn't as windy today, but it is a pretty day outside. Yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> So Stephanie is one of our reporters uh, kind of doing everything uh, that we ask her to do, wearing a lot of different hats during this pandemic. And one of those kind of hats that she's wearing is the update stories on our day-to-day caseload and uh, the unfortunate passing away and deaths of folks from COVID-19. So Stephanie, can you kind of explain to people how you get that information um, then how you go about reporting a bit, reporting it and why it's so important. Um, yeah, so actually um, the, the updates I work on are anything from those day-to-day case numbers to um, just rewriting press releases to give people just bits of information at a time. Um, so every morning... And actually, Gloria, who uh, is another reporter at the Daily Star, she does the morning um, daily count that the state puts out. Mm-hmm. And up until this weekend, I was doing the county numbers. Uh, as of this weekend, they're starting to direct everyone to the state page. Um, so I'm kind of just looking out for other bits of numbers, uh, how many people in um, jails might have coronavirus. Um little things like that basically uh, if any information about the people who have died comes up I would write a brief about it Um, and then other small like I said bits of information initially it was event cancellations Uh, obviously eventually those gradually stopped happening because everything that could be canceled was canceled Uh Uh, so now we're seeing things like um, business loans for small businesses that are struggling. If we get any information on that, whether it's local or federal help, I will write a brief that tells people how to apply for those. Um, Things like people helping make masks for people. Mm -hmm. Uh, If uh, you need services from the Department of Motor Vehicles, that's an update I would write up uh, that would give you quick easy access information, uh, and we keep a log of all of our daily updates, including longer stories. Uh, we keep a daily log on our website. Uh, if you just search, like, updates coronavirus, you could probably find that. Gotcha. Very cool. So I know you mentioned uh, jails in your answer, uh, and you had an interesting story earlier this, uh, or excuse me, later last week, um, kind of focusing on reducing uh, jail populations uh, kind of for the purposes of, you know, reducing the risk of coronavirus spread. Can you kind of explain that story a little bit more for our listeners? Uh, Yeah. So basically what they were trying to do at the Pima County jail is um, cells that would normally have two inmates in them. They want to free those up a little bit to have just you know, if somebody has to be isolated because they're feeling sick, they want to be able to put one person in those two-person cells. 
So um, it was an initiative where um, Pima County Sheriff Mark Napier mm-hmm. uh, asked, he kind of suggested, you know, these are the kind of inmates we could potentially release from prison or, or from jail, sorry, not prison. Um, or if inmates were um, serving like weekends only and then being released for work during the weekday, they tried to um, make that not really a thing anymore because the in and out is what's concerning uh, as far as whether or not coronavirus gets into the jail. Mm-hmm. And so they basically asked public defenders, the Pima County Attorney's Office, to look through a list of inmates. Uh, the, the public defender's office put the list together. Uh, the county attorney and the public defender's office collectively went to the courthouse to a judge, and then a judge had to uh, essentially uh, order the sheriff's department to release that inmate. And so the list was originally about 145 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the day, only about 20, some, almost 30 of them were released. And then some were released by other means, whether by the time they got through the list, that person, uh, their time in jail was over. They posted bail, something like that, uh, allowed them to be released as well. So they're sort of still working on it on a case-by-case basis. But the idea is less inmates means more space and less amount of people potentially getting infected with coronavirus if it gets into the jail. And along with that same idea, I know you wrote, I I believe you wrote another story that had to do with um, police departments not prioritizing uh, some cases or some offenses to kind of, uh, you know, issue citations instead of, jail sentences. Yeah, um, so it was part of that really long story. The on, Along those same lines, they were asking police, sheriffs, um, anyone who would normally arrest someone and book them into jail to, to use existing systems. So they, officers already try to find alternatives to just booking someone into jail. Mm-hmm. And so they were kind of just doing more of that. They were trying to find uh, alternatives, whether that's uh, going through pre-trial screening process where they say, okay, you're not a danger to the public. You'll be released and we'll just give you a court date like you normally would for something as minor as like a traffic ticket, right? So um, anyone that doesn't pose a threat to the public. Obviously, this isn't for people who, you know, may or may not have shot someone. Um, This is for people who had personal amount of drug possession or who um, basically just really minor cases where they don't threaten public safety if they are released and cited uh, on paper instead of being booked into jail. Um, And on that same note, police just like the rest of us don't want to make contact with the public as much as possible. So things like uh, if you missed your court date and there's a warrant out for you because you missed your court date, they're not going to pursue those as heavily. Again, as long as it doesn't threaten public safety. Um, They're just trying to minimize contact overall, not just with jail bookings. Mm 
if uh, if you're if your offense is a borderline jail or no jail, that cop is going to decide whether uh, you're a threat to public safety, and they would probably much rather give you a ticket and move on with their day than put you in their car and transport you. You know, the, the amount of time that a police officer spends with someone is going to also affect their uh, chances of being infected with coronavirus if a person has it or their chances of infecting a member of the public if they have it because they're con- or they're in contact with a lot of people throughout their days. So. Totally, totally. I mean, you see cases like what's going on in New York with all the yeah, NYPD cases that come up. That's the last thing you want is to cripple a force at a time like this. Um, so another kind of question that has to do with the other end, uh, maybe uh, looking out for something a little bit more serious uh, as far as crime, a possible uptick in domestic violence here in Pima County. You wrote a story on that recently. Um, yeah. But there are certain kind of variables that are more likely to, to kind of mix now under the uh, pandemic stay-at-home order or kind of explain what the, what the climate is now that seems to be worse for domestic violence well there was a there was a lot i learned in that story um so the story was about domestic violence and i think in general domestic violence is violence uh involving anyone who's a family member a partner or spouse but we tend to think of it as just a partner so i combined child abuse into that story Mm -hmm. it's technically also domestic violence but uh so with domestic violence, usually with a partner, um, isolation is already a tactic that abusers use. So if you want to be able to control your partner in a situation, you're going to try to cut them off from their support system. Isolation is already doing that for some victims. And so that sets a, an additional danger. You know, they, they feel like they can't leave their home. They're being asked not to leave their home. Uh, And then it makes it harder for them to communicate with their usual support system Um, or even to, because some people are in domestic violence situations, but they're not necessarily ready to leave those situations. So even if just going to work was a respite from that violent relationship, that's not really there anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of an issue. Um, there uh, there were also points made about if the situation is getting worse, if uh, the abuser suddenly doesn't have a job, which also could have been his respite from abusing their partner, um, if, if they don't have a job, if they suddenly, I think one, one of the people I talked to put it, uh, they have nothing to lose. So they might get even more violent, more aggressive. And if it gets to that point and a victim does feel the need to call for help, if you're stuck in the house where your abuser is, it's going to be harder to call and find that help or to, you know, call to fire a restraining order to call, a, you know, police to intervene. Any of that gets more difficult. 
Um, with child abuse, a lot of times schools were those kids' uh, safe place away from home. Uh, in schools, everyone is a mandatory reporter. Your counselors, your teachers, they all look for signs of child abuse. And so uh, with kids not going to school, it might be harder to spot those signs and to help those children. Um, and then another point that wasn't in the story that was made was that uh, a lot of times domestic violence among partners involves children. If, if a, a couple, a spouse uh, couple is in a domestic violence relationship, um, a child might see it and it still affects them. A child might accidentally take a hit trying to defend their mom or something like that. And that also affects them. And so it's kind of it's like a pretty tangled web of potential dangers for people in those uh, domestic violence relationships right now. Are there county strategies or any strategies among law enforcement or, or nonprofit groups that might be able to do some sort of intervention? Is there anything that they're working on or is there any sort of plan in place for, for an outreach for these folks that they could reach out to? Um, so there, I think for the most part, nonprofits are just kind of spreading the word, telling people to keep an eye out, um, reminding people that like, if you see a child at a grocery store and you suspect they might be abused, you might be the only person who saw that. So maybe you should report it just in case. Um, and then earlier this year, the statewide, uh, the state court system released a way for uh, people to, to file or to start filing their uh, essentially restraining orders online. And so now you can file that online and complete it by phone. Uh, and if you can't complete it by phone, the courts are open. They have made that very clear that if they're needed, they are open. Um, they're just trying to restrict the, the in-person uh, contact whenever possible. Gotcha. But uh, I think for the most part, just the fact that you can start filing online is a big help. And that it has a, a safety button. So... If you go to the website and you start filling out basically uh, a quick survey of your situation and your domestic violence case, um, and your abuser walks into whatever room you found some space, private space in, you can click a button in the top right corner, I believe it is, and it just automatically shuts out the page so that uh, you're not put in a more dangerous situation by, by doing so. So they've, they're trying, I think. And I, I think just people knowing that that could be the case uh, helps because you can then reach out to your friends who you might know were in a skeptic type of relationship. And you know, just even by phone, just reaching out and being that respite for people when you can't do it in person might be really helpful. Well, yeah, that, that does sound like an important resource. And I think it's important that, Reporters like yourself are, are letting that resource kind of be known in your reporting. Um, 
And that's the sort of reporting and that's the sort of work that you were getting out of the Arizona Daily Star. Um, so, Stephanie, is there any uh, any stories that you're working on in the next week or something that you're working on for even tomorrow? Because I know you, you do everything <laughs> pretty much every- um, What is there anything that you can preview for us to look out for? Um, I'm trying to make better sense of what courts are and aren't offering as far as uh, what services are still going on. Um, I know that that probably doesn't sound like something that affects most people, but after having written uh, brief after brief about what services are closed or open, everything from if you want to get married or you need some kind of intervention with your, you know, child support, parent sharing, um, all of that has changed and the way that hearings are done have changed. And so I'm trying to kind of help make sense of it so that I could then tell people what those changes are and how they might affect most of the general population. Uh, Besides that, I'm trying to keep an eye on on those domestic violence statistics, see if we can get um, concrete numbers to see if what it was predicted is actually going to happen. And hopefully not, but uh, we're keeping an eye on that. Uh, And then we're trying to see if uh, property crime statistics are being affected at all. Uh, I, one of the first things uh, we thought of my editors and I was if people are staying home, uh, if people are staying home, does that mean that people aren't breaking into houses anymore? And so that's kind of something we've been curious about and something we're trying to follow. Let's hope not. I mean, yeah. With the rate of gun ownership, you're going to be pretty surprised if you do. <laughs> um, yeah, I've heard Stephanie, that's increased too, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for stopping by the point being today. Um, if you have any social media, like a Twitter handle, you'd like to get out there so that people can have a little easier time following you and your great work, uh, go ahead and promote that right um, I think for almost exclusively work, I use my Twitter account, um, that's Casanova Reports, so it's C-A-S-A-N-O-V-A Reports um, on Twitter. That's where you could follow. Mostly I share Daily Star stories, mine and other people's, so you'll find those there. Stephanie, again, thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, folks, thank you so much for listening. I just want to let everyone know that the views and ideas expressed in this podcast uh, are not necessarily those of Lee Orkinet Enterprises. Uh, and uh, thank you so much again for listening. For Stephanie Casanova, I'm Edward Salayan. This has been The Point B. Have a good day.